can turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 and verses 33 to 35 that we looked at last week. A Jewish man named Simeon, a devout Jewish man named Simeon, after blessing Mary and Joseph in the temple, prophesied about their baby, Jesus the Christ, to Mary. And he said, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Later in verse 40, Luke also told us that the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The proof of both of those texts comes in the final scene of the birth narrative here in verses 41 to 52. Not only will it be obvious that this child was indeed filled with wisdom, but that his word and ministry will confound even those that are closest to him. He will be profoundly misunderstood due to the gap between human expectations for Jesus and the truth of God in Jesus. What happens when we let our familiarity with Jesus cloud who He really is in the family of God in His church? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You that You are with us, that You have chosen out of Your love and mercy when we rebelled against You in sin not to cast us off or destroy us forever, but to make provision for us, to obtain redemption for us by sending Your Son. And Lord, I pray this morning that as the Lord of this church, Jesus would speak to us through His Word and that our hearts would all be open to receive it, God. Not just to hear it, but to receive it and its implications for us. Please help me preach Your Word and not my own. Keep me from infecting this text with myself and have Your way among those who hear that we would listen well. And by the power of Your Spirit in these things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 41 of Luke chapter 2. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, Luke's gospel is extremely selective. There are no wise men in Luke. There's no flight to Egypt. There's no Roman slaughter of Bethlehem's toddlers, all of which are mentioned in Matthew's gospel. And it isn't that those things didn't happen. It's that Luke chose not to include any of them. Instead, in verse 39, the family had returned to Nazareth and Galilee after what happened at the temple. And so Luke has just one episode then from the early life of Jesus that climaxes in the first recorded words of the Messiah. Luke's gospel is about the necessity of what Jesus 
came to do. The order, the priority of it. He skips right from birth to age 12. Why? Because this is the moment at the end of Luke 2 when Jesus is 12 that the reader finds out that Jesus now knows in His humanity why He has come to the earth. Why He's here. It's been made known to Him. He's perceived it. Though it didn't happen much in practice, devout Jewish men did as Deuteronomy 5.16 prescribed and they celebrated certain holidays three times a year at the temple in Jerusalem. The fact that Jesus' parents apparently celebrated the Passover in Jerusalem every year tells us something about their own devotion to the Lord. Joseph's devotion, namely, to the Lord. Since Jesus had probably been with them each time they went and they also would have traveled in a large party of friends and family from the same region, it wouldn't have been an immediate cause for concern to know where he was. Or maybe even when they initially couldn't find him. They would have assumed he was somewhere among the group. They traveled for a day before they even began to look for him or have any need to. And hes they're assuming, like I said, he's with the group as any pre-teenage boy would have been. But when they still couldn't find him among the group, they start to panic. And it takes about three days from when they first started looking to when they finally ended up back in Jerusalem proper, proper at the temple where they found him in verse 48. Or sorry, verse 46. But when they finally find him, Jesus isn't running around. He's not playing with boys his age. He isn't roughhousing or carelessly wandering around. He's in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. In verse 46, Jesus was among the rabbis. They would give instructions at different places in the temple. There are public places there. They would answer questions. This would usually take place more in conversations and discussions around the temple. It was mainly for adults. And Mary and Joseph find Jesus sitting in the midst of them, taking part in these conversations. Not just listening, but asking questions. And all the attention is on Him. He's not even 13 yet, which means He wouldn't have been considered ready for this like a, on any level. He's not a son of the law, as they would have been called yet. He's way too young for this. But this is the Christ. He's engaging in back and forth with the rabbis, but not like a precocious or obnoxious little child. For Jesus is filled with wisdom. Mary, however, is a mother. She's probably an understandable mixture in this moment of relief and anger. So she's thankful. They're thankful that he's okay, but where has he been? What was he thinking? Verse 48. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Now, this sets the stage for the point of this passage, which is to give us the first recorded words of Jesus and what is really a climax to the first part of Luke as a whole. We'll skip to his adulthood after this. Mary's reaction is certainly understandable, isn't it? Any parent would absolutely panic panic when they realized their child was missing and if it took three days to find them you can you know detectives and police officers will tell you you have basically 48 hours to get a missing person back or get a lead or you're not going to find them and he's been missing for three days you can imagine how terrified mary and joseph were and it's jesus they've been entrusted with the parental care of the son of god on the earth the longer time went on without finding him the more frantic and terrified you can imagine They'd become. Jesus had caused them so much worry. And so she says, 
why have you treated us so? Mary thinks, Mary thinks the important thing here is Jesus' relationship to her and their family. Why have you treated us so? But listen to the response of the Son of God in verse 49. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? Now Jesus is not being disrespectful. He's genuinely amazed and puzzled that they were so worried. Did they really not know where to look for him when they realized he was missing? That's what Jesus is saying. You didn't come to the temple first when you realized I wasn't with you? Did you honestly not think that I had to be in my Father's house? That is, as some of your translations probably say, that I had to be about the Father's business. It doesn't mean carpentry or woodworking or that work of a tradesman like Joseph had. When Jesus refers to his Father here, they both know he doesn't mean Joseph. These words show not only how obvious it was to Jesus that the temple was in fact God's house on earth at that time, but they also show us a relationship to God that, as Vogueert says, no pious Jew ever claimed to have before. Right? God could be called Israel's father, sure, but it was unheard of for an individual man to call him my father. And here, that's being said by a 12-year-old boy. This boy has a relationship with the father that no one has ever had or ever claimed to have. Not Moses, not David, none of them. The first recorded words of Jesus are filled with the doctrine of Christ. They speak to His person. He is the Son of God. And they speak to His work, the necessity of being in Jerusalem because He will return here as the Passover Lamb. The Passover Lamb. Jerusalem is the place of His destiny. And He knows it at 12 years old. The infancy narrative begins and ends in Jerusalem. Luke chapter 1 and here at the end of chapter 2, and it ends specifically, begins and ends in the temple. I must be in my Father's house, or I must be about my Father's business. Jesus must be present in the house of His Father. That's where the Father's business is transacted on earth. At that time, among those to whom that business had been entrusted to be carried out. That word, must, is one of the key words in Luke. It's used for the first time here in verse 49. It's used a total of 15 times in this Gospel to signify the obligation Jesus is under. The necessity of what it is that He's come to accomplish. This is where Jesus had to be because He had come to be the spotless sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. He would shed His blood and die so that we would be forgiven and made perfectly righteous to the Father. He had come to be the great High Priest. So He's at the temple the Father's house, doing the Father's business, which is salvation for the world. That is why He said, I must be in my Father's house. Beloved, the necessity that drove Jesus to live with this holy must was to be sacrificed for you and I in submission to His Father's will and purpose. And today, the necessity of Jesus is still nothing less than to be the Savior of the world. The Father's business still has the utmost priority for the Savior 
and therefore most certainly should be of the utmost priority for his church. And that can't be an afterthought. It can't be something that we say, well, the main thing we're supposed to be doing is, of course, the Father's business. But, no. No, this is Jesus we're talking about. So take careful note of what we read next in verse 50. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Mary and Joseph were amazed. They're shocked and bewildered when they find him in the temple, of course. And Mary sought to reprove Jesus. Mary actually thought Jesus needed correction. Because they do not understand. We go crazy in our thinking when we don't understand Jesus. The very first words of Jesus are misunderstood. That will be a theme for His entire life on the earth. It still is today. All throughout the Gospel story, there's a pattern of misunderstanding that accompanies the revelations of Jesus, mainly the ones that He must suffer and die. Peter gets called Satan over misunderstanding that. The Messiah must be crucified. That's why this foreshadowing here, I must be here, I must be doing the Father's business, I'm the sacrifice. When his parents experience the confusion that is linked to the necessity of his coming death, we're reminded that though the details of what's happening are clear to the reader as to who Jesus is and what he must do, the human participants in the story, those closest to it, those with the best opportunity to understand it, are incapable of understanding the word of Jesus. What did Simeon say was going to happen in verses 34 and 35? Notice that's what Luke does here. He skips right to the first point that we're going to see this happen. What Simeon said would happen. An angel had visited Mary and told her that she would conceive by the Holy Spirit and give birth to the Lord, the Messiah of God. She had seen the shepherds come and tell her that the heavenly host had proclaimed that her child had been born. She had heard the witness of Simeon and Anna in the temple shortly after he was born. She had said to the Lord when he told her all this, let it be to me according to your word. Mary had believed the word of the Lord concerning her son. But it's been 12 years. Right? It's been 12 long years. And despite legends and made up stories outside of the Bible, Jesus had not done any miracles or signs during his younger years. He didn't do anything. His first sign, in fact, doesn't take place until the wedding at Cana in Galilee, which is some 18 years after this moment. And Mary would be confused then also. She still wouldn't understand the identity and the purpose of Jesus. And after all, Mary and Joseph have had other children by this point. Jesus had siblings. Life had went on. Joseph had went back to work. Mary wasn't divine. She wasn't perfect. She was just faithful. So her perception of things is not completely clear. Nobody's is. So over time, it's likely a lot of that stuff about Jesus had faded into the background and familiarity had set in. And we might think that's impossible, but look, look at the story of Israel in the Old Testament. How does the wilderness generation forget watching the Red Sea split wide open? How do they forget the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night to the extent that they're griping the next morning after receiving food miraculously from heaven? 
This is what human beings do. We are not built because of the fall to understand Jesus. And we do our best to make Him not offensive to ourselves. He was offensive to His own mother and father. We are not going to get around this fact. Even though we've believed, we're not going to get around the difficulty, often the difficulty of understanding who Jesus is and what the implications of that are for what He tells us and teaches us. Jesus was also just Mary's son. No doubt she knew that He was special and different and divine. No question. But again, that didn't change what she felt in this moment. And it seemed after 12 years, maybe like, okay, so life is maybe going to proceed as normal. And they get used to the ebb and flow of every day. And then one day he's gone. And when they find him, he's among the rabbis. This comes as a, as a shock to them. And he's blowing their minds with his wisdom. And without any disrespect or dishonor at all, he's baffled at their concern. How could you not know that I would be here? Where else would I be, Mom? Where else would I be? I've come to do my father's business. You know what father I mean, right? Like, we're all clear here as to who I am and who you all are. Which again, if that would have been us, that kind of thing would not only be confusing, it had to be hurtful. It had to be. But he isn't sinning against them. He's Again, he's not being snarky here. This is Jesus. Verse 51, And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. That's me telling you, it's not like he lorded everything over them until he was a grown-up. No, 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 no. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Jesus was never disrespectful or disobedient to his parents. Ever. He was never even rebelliously condescending to them. Even though they didn't understand Him or what He had come to do, He was submissive to them. He obeyed the commandment to honor His father and mother. He honored His earthly father and mother in perfect obedience to the law. Something you and I and our children have never done and will never do. Mary treasured up all these things, all of them in her heart. She's taking stock. And we'll see later on during the ministry of Jesus that that, that doesn't mean she ever really fully understood We don't really know when that happened for Mary or if it did on the earth. The word of her son would cut through her like a sword on more than one occasion. But remember, that is the example of what Jesus is doing to many hearts, to all hearts, Simeon said. Verse 52. By the way, Jesus, remember, loved his mother dearly and was caring for her and thinking of her at His crucifixion. Even So He never treated her poorly. Verse 52, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And that's who He was, God and man. He perfectly met every obligation He had in order to become our all-sufficient Savior. Because of this, He increases in wisdom and in stature. He's fully human and in favor with God and man. Somehow in His humanity, 
Jesus increased in favor with God over the years. Meaning he was righteous and holy. He was always obedient to the Father. The Lord approved of him and was pleased with him in his humanity. And Jesus was a good man to his family and to his friends and his family, to his community. He increased in favor with everybody until, of course, he started to preach. Beloved, since Jesus made it clear that his true family is made up of those who hear the word of God and keep it, that is the church, what are we to make in this church, this church, of the priority of the Father's business for us? There's a warning to all of us in this text this morning. Familiarity with Jesus over the years is not only possible, it will happen. And it's a familiarity that forgets who Jesus actually is and precisely what it is that He came to do. And this will numb us to His Lordship. Dale Ralph Davis says that daily contact with the human Jesus had had the effect of making them, Mary and Joseph, almost forget the divine divine statements about Him. That He, in addition to being a true human being, was the Son of God, they could not perceive in His daily life. As the days go by in our own lives, through the years, what are we failing to perceive? What do we forget about Jesus? This account records the first hint of the alienation that would come about between Jesus and even those closest to Him. Until they finally understood and enough, or understood enough and accepted that He was truly God's Son. We know that was a lifelong struggle for Mary, but even for His human brothers. They didn't, they thought He was crazy until after His resurrection. He just got too familiar to them, and how could He not, right? For the parents, you, Mary, I, I, you're my, I changed your diapers. Like, how hard do you figure it is to remember that this is the Son of God in human flesh when you're changing diapers? I taught you how to walk. His father could say, I, I taught you how to work and pound a nail and build things and manage money probably. All, all those things. Just That's what you do with a son. With a daughter even. And for his sibling, you're our brother. We, we played with you. We explored with you. We ran around with you. We grew up together. We know you. How is it that that numbs us to Jesus? It's that the way in which we know Him is off. That can happen among even the faithful. The more familiar we are with someone, the more we know them, the less likely we are to remember everything about them. Now, how do we avoid that when it comes to Jesus Christ? Because Mary teaches us here that we will treat Jesus just like this, as though He should know His role in our lives. And it's to do what we expect and to give us what we want and to not challenge that or forget it. That's how she's treating Him. Why have you treated us so? 
he hadn't done anything to them. Oh, he had as earthly parents, but he had not been wrong. He had not sinned against them. He had gone right with what the Father had sent him to do, which they should have remembered he was going to have to do. We grow genuinely surprised often when the priorities of Jesus are different from our own. We grow angry and confused when we're reminded of who He really is and not who we would necessarily like Him to be. There are things that we want Jesus to be and things that we want Jesus to do that He didn't come to be or to do and did not promise He would ever be or do. And when we expect such things of Him, when we forget why this church exists, why Jesus is Lord of this place, what Jesus is attempting to accomplish and make the priority here, when we forget this, when we become so familiar with the name and the presence, but forget the title and the lordship and the priority, it, we're completely thrown off and we shouldn't be. You mean the Bible tells us what we should do as a church? Yes. But if, if we do what the Bible says, that will threaten this thing that I want to do. That will threaten this position that I currently hold. That will threaten the weight of my words and the place of my agenda. And that's why the church exists. Right? And if you don't give me what I want, I will take my ball and go home until you do. You're not ever saying that to me. You do realize that. You're saying that to Jesus. This is His church. It's not mine. I just go here. I'm just the mouthpiece here for the Word. That's all I am. I'm very replaceable. When we expect such things of Him, we get confused and shocked when He doesn't come through and it damages our faith and it damages our worship. It damages our desire and ability to love God and to love and serve our neighbors. Jesus wasn't always going to make a priority of Mary and Joseph. Those days are ending. He wasn't always going to do what they wanted. He was their son, but He was not their son at the same time. They expected Him to do what the family wanted Him to do. And He's a sword that pierces. They had forgotten this. Swords that pierce are always swords that pierce. Piercing is not fun. Jesus will say in Luke 8, I talked about it a few minutes ago, when someone tells Him, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are waiting for you outside. In other words, they're here, they're expecting you to make time for them. They have a family demand they can put on you. Family trumps everything, right? 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 Does the Bible say that? No, it doesn't. My mother and brothers are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. He said. Jesus is driven by what will bring glory to the Father. Not what will necessarily be comfortable and convenient for Him or everyone around Him. In Matthew 10, when Jesus sends out His disciples to minister, He tells them what they can expect as His representatives in the world. I forget this every day. And I complain and murmur myself 
I forget what Jesus has said it would be like to be His representative in the world. And the unique thing that church fights and church conflict are. I forget what Jesus said would happen. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For. So, what exactly does he mean there by sword? For, I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Who is obeying that one? I love Jesus more than my family. You do? We do? What does that look like? What does that look like? Well, I, I give him an hour every Sunday morning. Oh, oh, okay. Got it. You totally love Jesus more than where you spend the majority of your time. Because it's spiritual. It's out here. He's familiar. Yeah, you know. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And I'm not worthy of Jesus. So I hope that He will save me in spite of the fact that I do not obey Him perfectly. The closer we are to people in our lives, the more the priority of Jesus will be perceived as an interruption that is hard to understand. Please let me say that again. The closer we are to people in our lives, the more the priority of Jesus will be perceived as an interruption that is hard to understand. Jesus has the priority in our church also as His representatives. And we may be refusing to give it to Him. And just pay lip service. Because we say that the Bible is our only rule and source of authority. And we do not do what it says. Not perfectly. Not close to perfectly. There are things in this Word that the Bible says the church should be doing and we don't do them. It would be too hard. It would cause too many problems. It would be too difficult. It would hurt too many feelings. But we're very familiar. We love Jesus here. We're very familiar with Jesus. And He's our buddy and He's our Lord. And so it's, it's okay. It's okay. How, how long do you figure that can go on before the Lord says, Ichabod, I'm putting out your last breath. Do we make a priority of Jesus? Or... Do we make a priority of the opinions and preferences of one another, especially of friends and family? Because if, if we all, if we go to the same church as basically all our friends and family, then what the scripture is saying means that this will be the hardest place in our lives to obey the commands of Jesus. Because every relationship that Jesus came to cut through like a sword is here, mainly. Have we forgotten who Jesus is? Have we become too familiar because we use His name so much? Right? We, we think to not take the Lord's name in vain means don't say, oh my God. God's not His name, first of all. 
Second of all, if the law was that easy, why did Jesus need to come and die? Because you couldn't keep it. Don't take, don't use the name of Jesus if there's no respect for the name of Jesus and his authority and priority in his church. I've never had somebody say to me, if you keep preaching that, I'm not going to come here. I've never had somebody say to me, if you don't preach the word, I'm not going to come here. I have had people say to me, if that thing changes or that thing goes away, I'm not coming here. Right? You know what that is. That's blackmail. You think that Jesus is okay with that? Beloved. Is he just a big errand boy? Do, do we think that being close to him means we can expect or demand whatever we want from him? Jesus is not our buddy that has all this power. And so he's good to have around and you want to use him when you need some heavy lifting done. And so we just plug on through church life together thinking he's just going to approve of everything and help with everything and make everything happen the way that we want it to. That means every time we're called to go in a different direction than we want to go, when the Word calls us in a different direction than we would like to go, we will perceive it as an interruption. Because our Jesus, the Jesus we know, He's on our side. He would never do such a thing like just hang around in the temple when His own mom and dad are traveling back home. That's absurd. You would never do such a thing. Especially not to your family. In the church of Jesus Christ, we must submit to the priority of the Father's business. And beloved, we are all, me included, going to be tempted to use church as a means to satisfy our own desires and shortcomings. To satisfy our own preferences and our own wishes. We will be tempted to use the church to make up for some of the gaps and the things missing in our lives that we can't get from our other relationships. That will happen We'll be tempted to make this place and its traditions our identity. When our identity is rooted in Jesus, not in anything else. And He never changes, never moves, isn't up for changing or moving. On that, you can count. And we won't even see that for the treason that it is. Why? Because familiarity over the years with Jesus and even with one another... And we're able to keep doing the things, you know, that, that keep us open. So clearly God is blessing it. That makes us forget this church exists for the priority of Jesus and not us. That's always a possibility. Church of Jesus Christ doesn't exist to make sure our children always have somewhere to go. That's not why the church exists. It does not exist to make sure the legacy of our departed brothers and sisters lives on. That's not why the church exists. It does not exist to make sure our personal preferences and activities and styles and values are always going to be upheld. That's not why the church exists. That's not a priority for Jesus. It doesn't exist to provide an outlet for whatever our hobbies or talents are. No, 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 no. It does not exist to be a backstop for us when the times and seasons of our lives are changing and the world can no longer provide us 
with what we need or want anymore. And so we expect the church to pick up that slack. God is the one who changes times and seasons. Which means often resisting change is resisting the sovereignty of God. And I'm not talking about forced changes. I'm talking about change. Things just change. They can't stay the same. If God wanted things to stay the same, He wouldn't have created time and seasons. Here is why Jesus says the church exists in Matthew 16, 19, for starters. Jesus says to His disciples, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And if you take that with what He says to the disciples in John 20, 23, Jesus means that the church was given to the world to pronounce the forgiveness of sins for the repentant and withhold the forgiveness of sins from the unrepentant who refuse to repent. We are to be the place then where the gospel and what Jesus came to do has all the priority. In Acts 20, 28, we're reminded that Jesus purchased the church with His own blood. That's how Paul... That's what Paul uses to make sure the elders don't forget their place. The shepherds of the church. The under-shepherds of the church. You remember that Jesus purchased those people with His own blood. Speaking through the Holy Spirit of Jesus, Paul says in Ephesians 3, 8 and following, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So the church exists to display the wisdom of God. That's the priority not the preferences of the members. It's, it's just not the priority. Is that clear in the church? Does the church believe that? Does it come out in practice? Does it come out in attitude? We know we've gotten too familiar if quoting Scripture makes us feel intruded upon. I can't listen to I can't listen to that. Don't tell us that. In Ephesians 5:24, the church submits to Christ. That's what we do. In 5:25, Jesus loved the church and gave Himself up for her. In 5:29, He nourishes and cherishes her. In Colossians 1:18, Jesus is the head of the church. In 1 Timothy 3:15, the church is called the pillar and buttress of the truth in this world. This is how Jesus carries out the Father's business in the church. The question is never, how can this church provide me with what I want and wish was true? The question is always, in light of what the Lord of the church says, the reason is His church exists, how may I then submit myself to His priorities and align myself with Him rather than myself? Instead, so often... We put the church on the hook to make every single individual person happy by doing things exactly how they want and without question. That becomes the priority that drives all the meetings, all the planning, all the agenda. But if we do this, we, that person or this family or that group is beloved. 
Beloved, we are asking Jesus so often, how could you treat us so? Instead of saying, let it be to me according to your word. And that's what happens when we forget who Jesus is. We, we don't want to let Jesus take hold of the things that we hold dear. We don't want Him to say to us in His loving mercy, I didn't come for that. I didn't promise you that. Little Sparrow, you are so concerned about so many things. Look to me. I'm here. He says, I'm not moving. I'm not changing. You want that thing. You don't need that thing. I can see what getting that will do to you. I want this for you. I have called you to this. I have commanded you to live like this. Does He have the priority to the extent in our lives that we then listen and submit and say, all right, let it be to me according to your will. Even if we don't fully understand why He would withhold or change something in the moment. He says He must be about the Father's business, not necessarily our business. So very quickly, as I close, if we've lost track of Jesus, of who He really is, where do we find Him? Where can we be sure Jesus always is? Where is the place we can go that we know if we go there, if we look there, He will be there? Beloved, it is in the Gospel of Jesus Christ crucified for your sins. That's where Jesus is. In His Word, all the time, all day, every day, twice on Sunday, and an additional time on Wednesday night. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And I want you to know something. You struggle with this text like I do. Alright? Jesus isn't resentful of you when you don't get it. Alright? I don't want anybody to walk out of here this morning defeated. If the Word has exposed you, alright. If what Jesus requires of us, His Word, if, if what the law requires of us to do, we have not done, we are not doing, alright, it did its job. Now come on home. Be repented and return to the Father. You are safe with Him. You are always safe with Him. You aren't safe with me, but you're safe with Him. And He isn't going anywhere. Lord, remind me of who You are and set my heart right again. Right, Set me free from the bitterness that is running my life. Set me free from the anger and discontent. Help me. Align me with You. Beloved, He doesn't break bruised reeds. He mends them. Lord, remind me of who You are and set my heart right again. Yes, He's our Lord and He rules over us completely. He is also our Savior. And He will not break you who are repentant. He will not. He will love you and carry you in His wings. 
and care for you. He knew that we would be like this. That's why He died for us. Don't run from Him when you realize you need Him to be what He said He came to make a priority of doing. Alright, He loves you. He loves you. I'm talking to all of you. You see, the pastor doesn't get to decide whether or not Jesus loves you and accepts you. That's done. My job is to proclaim that to you. And it's finished. He loves you. He has died for you. And He is living for you and interceding for you and reigns for you and will return for you. And that's the way it is. Why? Because He made a priority of the Father's business for you and for me. And He's coming back to give you warts and all. And I'll be there too. And we're just going to be together forever. All right.